0: You're listening to... Whoa!
1: Potluck. Potluck. You're listening to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian-American authors. My name is Marvin Yeh.
0: And I'm Rira Yu.
1: And we are here for our June 2023 mid-month book news check-in, where we go over the latest Asian-American book and publishing news. Um, Rira, how have you been? It is... Summer has come to L.A. I feel like it's been, it's been kind of hot lately.
0: I mean, it's been pretty gloomy lately. June gloom, you know, and we finally have sun again. Yeah,
1: the summer solstice was yesterday. As of recording, today is um, the Chinese Dragon Bolt Festival. Um, so it's um, if you are Chinese or if you celebrate, it's the day where we eat the what is colloquially known as Chinese tamales, but it's basically our sticky rice wrapped in like lotus leaves. Um, have a couple in the fridge right now, waiting for for dinner.
0: Ah, interesting. I did not know that that was a thing that people <laughs> celebrated.
1: Yeah, well, it's uh, it's Duanwu Jie, which technically is kind of like the like the summer festival. Um, it just so happens that it's the holiday where dragon boat races are often held. So, which is why we call it the dragon boat festival. Yeah, culture, culture. <laughs> But yeah, as always, we'll start off the, our mid-month check-in with the latest Asian American publishing announcements um, compiled from Publishers Weekly, Twitter, and wherever else Rera gets her book news from. Um, so yeah, let us get started. Rera, what is our first publishing announcement?
0: Okay, so our first book deal is Ace Books bought North American rights to fantasy duology by KX Song, the author of An Echo in the City. The first title, The Night Ends with Fire, is inspired by the Chinese folktale about Mulan, a female warrior, as well as the 14th century Chinese historical novel, Romance of the Three Kingdoms. According to the publisher, the book is about a brave young woman who goes to extraordinary lengths to rewrite her destiny and escape the forces that would conscript her to a life without agency. Uh, and it is slated for summer 2024.
1: Yeah, this sounds really interesting. Um The inspirations are things that I'm very familiar with. You know, Mulan is a famous Chinese folktale that was famously adapted by Disney for their animated film. And The Romance of the Three Kingdoms is probably one of the most famous historical Chinese epics. Um, It's been adapted into TV shows, movies, video games. Um, Like everyone's really familiar with those characters. So, um, yeah, I'm assuming that this is going to be a story about um, a girl who pretends to be a man and enters into into the world of like feudal Chinese politics and warfare.
0: Yeah, it's not really much for us to go on because we've seen a lot of Mulan and uh, Romance of the Three Kingdoms adaptations over the years. So... Um, yeah, I wonder what new thing will be brought to the table with this book.
1: Yeah, and I wonder who they're going to be mapping the Mulan character onto. Um, will she be taking the place of like one of the generals like Liu Bei or Zhang Fei, or will she be one of the cunning like political and military strategists like Cao Cao or Zhuge Liang? Very exciting. Very excited to learn about this. And so, yeah, congrats to KX Song on the book deal. Um, next up, Putnam won North American rights at auction to Hisashi Kashiwai's. The Kamogawa Food Detectives. Originally published in Japan, the novel became a bestseller and was also adapted into a television series. Um, it's about a father-daughter detective team who also owns a restaurant and recreate dishes from their customers' past. Dishes that might just hold the keys to forgotten memories and future happiness. Publication in North America is set for spring 2024.
0: This sounds I don't know, like, I feel like in Japanese uh, literature and media, there's always this thing with magical food and magical cafes and <laughs> It is a very
1: Japanese, like, novel premise, right? It reminds me of things like the uh, Before the Coffee Gets Cold or Tokyo Midnight Diner, where it's like, you're, you got your case of the week and it's solved through emotions brought on by food slash magic.
0: It kind of reminds me of, you know, that scene in Ratatouille where the food critic, yeah. like, like flashes back to his childhood memory of eating his favorite dish and i'm like (laughs) what if it's that but uh kind of like uh more serialized yeah because it sounds like it's serialized it doesn't sound like it's uh just like one big case
1: i mean it's probably similar to before the coffee gets cold where you have like a bunch of like stories that may become interconnected towards the end. Um, kind of similar to, you know, um, if you ever played Ace Attorney games, kind of like that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, it sounds really interesting, and um, I'm kind of interested in seeing the TV series as well. Uh, it sounds like an interesting concept to yeah. translate it into, like, a live action. Um, but okay, yeah. Our next book deal is Anthenium One in a five-house auction Australian storyboard artist... Ron Ron Zhou's graphic novel debut, a middle-grade tentatively titled Momo, and a sequel. Both books star precocious young witch Momo Lim, who lives in a retirement home for magical creatures and yearns to become a detective like her late father. In book one, Momo bites off more than she can chew by trying to solve a poisoning that takes place at a garden party. Publication of the first book is scheduled for 2026. Another detective story. <laughs> Father-daughter.
1: <laughs> yeah, love that we're getting two of these in our book news. And um, this sounds really cool. Like, which detectives uh, for middle grade? I would read that, and I'm not a middle grade reader.
0: <laughs> retirement Home for Magical Creatures. That sounds like a pretty cool place to, to live in.
1: Yeah, this sounds really cool, and I'm excited to um, find out what kinds of creatures are living in this retirement home. Okay. Next up, Charles Bridge bought World Rights to If Lin Can, a picture book biography of NBA star Jeremy Lin by Richard Ho, uh, and illustrated by Huing Kin Lin and Fun Win Kwang. Uh, the book offers hope and reassurance to young readers who have ever felt less than because of what they look like or what people expect from them, with particular resonance for kids of Asian descent. A spring twenty twenty-four publication is planned. Yeah, Lin Sanity is back. In picture book form. That is true. Sanity cool.
0: is back.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> so it doesn't sound like it's just for sports. It's just any field that Asian American kids would like to pursue in uh, pursue in their dreams. So yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, I mean the story uh, of
1: Jeremy Lin, especially, uh, Lynn, especially of that Lin Sanity run and leading up to it, is still I think it's still pretty resonant and still like pretty evocative of the Asian American experience, especially for those of us who are pursuing, you know, career paths that aren't quote unquote traditional. So, you know, it's always cool to give our kids models that they can base their their dreams off of.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's funny because our next book deal is also about basketball. So <laughs> Scholastic's Imprint Graphics bought Wish I Was a Baller, a 90s set middle grade graphic memoir by Emmy-winning writer-producer Amar Shah and illustrated by Eisner-winning comic creator Bashad Duset. The story follows Amar's real-life experiences as a teen sports journalist covering the golden era of the NBA and sparking an unlikely friendship with Shaq. While Navigating High School, First Love, and His Indian American Identity. Publication is planned for 2025.
1: (laughs) Yeah, see, sports dreams can take many forms, um, whether you're a baller or a journalist, which are ballers in my mind as well. And I guess there's just something about sports stories and sports-related stories that are just universally inspiring, right?
0: Yeah, there's a reason why sports animes (laughs) do really well.
1: Yeah. All right. Our next deal, Bloomsbury Acquired This Is How You Fall In Love by Annika Hussein, a debut YA novel about Zara, a rom-com obsessed teen on the hunt for her own great love story, who agrees to fake date her best friend Adnan in an effort to cover up his new secret relationship. Publication is slated for February 2024. Yeah, so another classic rom-com with a fake relationship trope. Um, I'm really curious to see uh, what the twist is for this one. Um, specifically, Adnan's new secret relationship. Like, I wonder what that is. And obviously, it's something that his parents would not approve of, right?
0: Listen, rom-coms and teen movies have taught me that... Um... You shouldn't try to follow the formula of rom coms and romance novels in order to find relationships and love in your life. It's just there; it's fiction for a reason. <laughs> Maybe don't try to force it.
1: I mean, yes, in real life, but in like fiction, in real
0: life, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it reminds me a lot of. Um, what is it? Maureen Goose, I Believe in a Thing Called Love, where okay. the main character tries to uh, ensnare her the boy of her dreams uh, by following K-drama uh, cliches. And yeah. it's like, oh, I wonder if this one is also like
1: a yeah. manual
0: with a rom-com <laughs> tropes.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it's we're going to have like kind of a genre savvy version of the story, which which sounds like a lot of fun.
0: All right, next up for six figures, Park Row preempted North American rights to Jane Yang's debut novel, The Lotus Shoes. Set in 19th century China, the historical fiction novel follows the highborn Lin Jing and her maidservant, Little Flower, who is who is gifted with embroidery as they navigate the limited realities and strict expectations placed upon them. Uh, Publication is set for January 2025.
1: So, yeah, this is like a historical fiction taking place in like pre-modern China, focusing on like two young women separated by class. I feel like I can get a sense of the um, the cultural themes of this book. Um, you know, Not necessarily like I can't get a sense of whether it's like going to be humorous or serious, but definitely like it was a time when it was probably really hard to be a girl.
0: Yeah, it was very hard to be a woman uh during this time period anywhere. Uh yeah. but obviously it I mean, it sounds like it's very serious and it sounds kind of like a sweeping historical fiction novel. If you read like uh Asian historical fiction novels that take place like in uh 19th century, 18th century, I feel like there is like there is like a market for yeah. For this type of story.
1: And you know, depending on when in the 19th century, it's a time of cultural change and revolution. So there's a lot of really cool places that the story can go. So I'm really excited to learn more about um, the Lotus Shoes. Um, okay, next up. In a two-book deal, Aladdin acquired Last Chance Academy a debut middle grade series by Debbie Michiko Florence, um, author of the Jasmine Toguchi series, um, and it follows 7th grader Megumi Mizuno, who was sent away to a boarding school known by students as Last Chance Academy, where Meg is determined to win a mysterious treasure hunt with a prize that could reunite her with her dad, but soon learns that there is a bigger mystery at the school to uncover. Publication is slated for spring 2025 and spring 2026.
0: Dude, the name of this academy is very ominous. (laughs) No um it sounds like a it sounds like a boarding school where the parents are just like you are this is your last chance to be reformed in in life
1: (laughs) yeah it sounds pretty ominous and you know i wonder what the balance will be between like the the sinister stuff and like the fun stuff because um dead florence i've heard of the jasmine to series and they're known to be pretty fun right
0: Yeah, Debbie writes pretty fun books, so uh, I'm pretty sure this book will be fun as well. All right, next up, Random House's imprint and Schwartz books bought at auction. Palestinian-born author-illustrator Hazar el bayahs debut picture book, My Olive Tree, as well as an untitled picture book. After learning from her grandfather of the importance of olive trees to her heritage, a girl plants a seed, only to be devastated when the sapling is trampled by invading soldiers. But her community rallies together to plant new trees, with the promise that they will survive and grow strong, delivering a hopeful message about the power of unity, culture, and renewal in the face of conflict. Publication is set for fall 2024, and the second book is set for fall 2025.
1: Yeah, this sounds like a, you know, I, I like that it's it's a picture book with the message of hope, uh, but doesn't shy away from like the realities of growing up in a place where a soldier would trample your olive tree.
0: Yeah, I really like the message in the book. Um, and it's really nice that like Marvin said, it has this hopeful message, but at the same time, it doesn't shelter kids from uh, realities that other kids experience over, overseas. So yeah. um, congratulations to Hazar for uh, their book deal.
1: Yeah. All right, next up, Saga Press acquired Canadian actor Katrina Kwan's debut, The Last Dragon of the East, as well as a second title. Um, described as a light romantic fantasy inspired by Chinese mythology, the book follows Sai a humble tea shop owner who has the ability to see red threads of fate, invisible strings of magic that connect two halves of one soul. Despite his ability, his own thread is gray and frayed, and he has no idea why. After stumbling into a devious plot to hunt down the last dragon of the East, could his mysterious fated half be the key to unlocking his past, present, and future? Publication is set for fall 2024. Yeah, this is the type of, like, high-concept... Chinese mythology inspired story that, that I can get behind. Um I feel like that the the red threads of fate is something that I've seen used a lot in like webtoons.
0: Yeah, and also animes. I mean, it is a very like romantic notion, right? Yeah. I'm just wondering about this last dragon of of the east, you know? Like, is there a fairy tale that is um about last dragons or <laughs> like
1: I don't um, think so. Um, the last dragon of the East in this story seems more of like a setting thing than like like an adaptation of like a, a Chinese folk tale. Because I'm not familiar with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, why are they hunting down the dragon? That's sad. Animal abuse. Anyway, uh, next up, Orca bought World rights to A Sky for the Birds, written by Rina Singh and illustrated by Barka Lohia. This picture book tells the uplifting story of two Muslim brothers in Delhi who, against all odds, have devoted their lives to rescuing and rehabilitating black kites. The majestic birds of prey injured in the polluted skies of the capital city. Publication is slated for fall 2025.
1: Yeah, just like my olive tree. Um, I love that. It's a story of like uh, people doing good deeds, but in the backdrop of like, in this case, environmental um calamity again it's really cool to see children's books that are like morality tales but taking place in places that you know the reader might not be familiar with and they can learn more about other cultures in addition to like environmental issues as well
0: okay so i just googled black kites and uh they look like hawks and i also found out this is based on a real story oh wow (laughs) Yeah, there's a documentary uh, directed by Shanak Sen, and it's about the two brothers who are, uh, you know, it's about two brothers who are trying to rescue these birds. Um, yeah, yeah, like, that's really cool.
1: That's and even more inspiring now.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that was real, but wow, it's actually real.
1: Yeah. All right, our next deal. Um, Abrams bought Hannah Alkaf's The Beast Beneath the Winds, a middle grade anthology and compendium of mythical creatures from Southeast Asian lore. Contributors include Brandon Hong, Dal Fumrook, um, Aaron Intrata Kelly, Gail D. Villanueva, Greg Van Ikut, Hannah Alcalf, um, Jesse Hughes June Jun CL Tang, May Respicio, Monica Hussein, Nadia McHale, Shin Ying Kor, Van Hong, Vita Bibi, and VT Bidania. And the companion will be illustrated by Jess and Sin Wabowo. publication is set for spring 2025, and a contest will allow winners to join the group of contributors.
0: Yeah, so the contest guidelines are listed on hannahalkaff.com, and you can send your story with the subject line Anthology Contest to the email beastsofsea at gmail.com. And the deadline is August 11th uh, at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you are planning to submit for this anthology, make sure you get your time zone correctly.
1: Yeah, you can have your story presented alongside all of these amazing authors. And yeah, I think it's really cool that we're getting a lot more stories about um, creatures from Southeast Asian mythology, which is something that we don't we don't see as often as, say, like East Asian creatures. So, yeah, looking forward to this um, compendium and short story collection.
0: All right. Our next book deal is Astra's imprint Minerva bought world rights for Simone, written by Pulitzer Prize winning author Viet Thanh Nguyen and illustrated by Minnie Phan. In this picture book a Vietnamese American girl's life is transformed and her ecological consciousness is awakened after a wildfire forces her and her ma who shares her own experience of environmental displacement as a child in Vietnam to evacuate their home. Publication is set for spring 2024. Ten Wen, the author of This Sympathizer* and uh, *The Refugees* collection, so it is a picture book. So nice to see him uh, dip his toes into children's literature.
1: Yeah, much like the other picture books that we've mentioned, it is a story that can teach our kids about ecological issues while also exposing them to uh, cultures outside of their own. Which, you know, I love that this is a trend now um
0: i mean it has to be a trend because we're living it it's our life uh (laughs) we're living in the age of climate change and it's really nice that we are getting more literature that is teaching kids about the importance of uh preserving our planet so um yeah really glad that this is uh part of a new expanding genre all
1: right Next up, Penguin Workshop bought Threads, the debut picture book by embroidery artist Ashley Wong. Sunny and Gemma are best friends, but when Gemma moves away, they learn that it's okay for different friendships to fray or strengthen over time. Publication is scheduled for spring 2026.
0: I feel like this is a very cute story and very important uh, because, you know, like as you grow up, like when you're young, you think that you're going to be friends forever, but um, learning at a young age that, you know, People grow apart and people change, and that's okay. I think that is something that uh, kids can benefit benefit from learning early on.
1: Yeah, I mean, the cool part about books like this that teaches concepts like it's okay for this to happen, or it's okay for things to not be permanent, or that environmental change is a thing is it also equips our kids with the language um, to process these emotions when they run up against them and. Um, I like that books like this teach our kids that even in situations that aren't ideal, it's not like the end of the world, right? You can there's, there are ways to deal with it. There's ways to move forward, uh, maintaining friendships that may not be the same as you grow up. So yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, this is a concept that even adults struggle with. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we have one last book deal to announce. Disney Hyperion bought in a two-book deal, World Rights to Sophia Lee Can Fly, written by Marie Tang and illustrated by Lenny Wen. When Sophia's family finally agrees to take her trapezing, she has one chance to take the leap and prove that the sky's the limit, as long as you try. Publication is set for spring 2025. Trapezing?! That, that sounds, sounds frightening.
1: Yeah, I would not. Um, although, if I do have a harness, then maybe. I have done, like, not net trapezing uh, per se, but, like, ropes courses where I have to jump and grab onto a trapeze, like, handle. Um,
0: I wonder how long it took for the parents to agree. <laughs> hey, yeah.
1: <laughs> but, you know, you know, you know what they say. There's nothing that better teaches, you know, courage. And um, strength, then circus acts like trapezing. That's what they say, right?
0: I don't know if that's what they say, but I do know the <laughs> saying, in order to fly, you must leap. <laughs> so uh, I guess it's taking that uh, adage quite literally in this book. Yeah.
1: All right. Yeah, well, that will do it for our book deal announcements for June 2023. Um, moving on to our news segment. Um, Rebra, there seems to have been some tea going on in the publishing world. Um, can you let me know what's going on with the British Museum?
0: Uh, yeah, sure. Let me just say that book tea has been very strong and there's been a lot of cacacity in... <laughs> It, it, on book Twitter lately. Um, okay, so the British Museum stole stuff again. I mean, no surprise. Um, and Vancouver-based editor and translator Yulin Wang uh, took to Twitter and they said that they did not receive any credit or reimbursement for their translations of poetry by Chu Jin, a feminist and revolutionary that um, the New York Times has dubbed China's Joan of Arc. And... Um, And this exhibit, China's Hidden Century, it opened on May 18th. So it's been it's been open for quite a while. And um, on June 19th, Wang tweeted, hey, British Museum, I am demanding all my translations to be removed from the China's Hidden Century exhibit and all materials pertaining to the exhibit, including the exhibition books, all video, photo, display materials, all signage, all digital and print materials, such as brochures, and anywhere else where translations have appeared, unless the museum makes a proper offer to compensate me and the compensation is given immediately. Now, from what I've heard uh, today, uh, today is June 22nd, the British Museum did uh, release a statement and they said that they are working with Elin on uh, getting compensation. But it was like a very typical, like, oh, we are sorry that, you know, it's like, we are sorry that this happened. I have no idea how this happened. And it's like, it happened because you had people who were too lazy to do citations correctly.
1: (laughs) Okay, so what exactly happened? Like, the British Museum put up this exhibit, and they used Yiling Wang's translations without telling them?
0: Yeah, without telling them. Wow. And you know like uh from from like Twitter Yulin was saying like how um like translation takes a very long time. Like how like they would spend weeks and like 15 to 20 hours just like making sure that the translations are correct. And the fact that they just lifted the translations without giving any credit is I don't know. Like I feel like in academia, like citations are such a big issue and it's like one of the first things that you learn as someone who works in research. So it's kind of like appalling to me that they just quote unquote forgot and the fact that um the British Museum uh, the the organizers of the exhibition, they had a grant. They received a grant of more than $900,000 from the UK Arts and Humanities Research Council. So they had money and they did not use any of it to give to Elon Wong yeah. the, the translator. So I heard about this through Anton and Her, actually, who uh, we've had on the show. He was the translator of uh, I Want to Die But Eat E. And the upcoming
1: so. BTS book. Don't forget about that.
0: Yes, that too. So like him just talking about how, you know, like translators, like they have to go through so much training when it comes to like uh, understanding copyright laws. And he talked about how like, like he had to translate poems himself, like from French poetry, because um, if he used just other people's translations, he would have to track down the original translation and cite it. And he's like, Well, that that is like close to near impossible, too much labor. So I guess I'll just translate it myself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm not familiar with the legal side of translations, but it does sound like someone at the British Museum decided to cut corners, Google a translation and paste it on their their materials without going through like your the process of making sure everything is above board. Like when, when I produce a show where I have to use archival or if I have to use like citations. I always have to track down like whoever created like the composition or the original piece to ask for permission or to like see if there's a licensing fee. Right. I mean that's just basic producing. And so someone at the British Museum definitely messed up here.
0: Yeah. And also like It's just ironic to me that this is an exhibition on like, you know, Chinese history and the British Museum has a history of stealing uh Chinese artworks.
1: I mean I mean, that's just art. This is a whole theme in a portrait of a Chinese. Maybe this is just performance (laughs) art put on by the British Museum.
0: Yeah. That's why I was like not surprised at all that it was um it it was the British Museum that that made the mistake. So I was like, huh.
1: I mean, yeah, trying to save some money, but you should have either paid her, um, you should have either paid them or just do it yourself. Because, yeah. Uh,
0: And it also like brought up conversations amongst uh, translators on just like how um, non-Asian translators of Asian history and Asian literature, they uh, get more opportunities and acclaim, whereas it's like much harder for translators uh, from... Translators who are native to that country, or like more, uh I guess, like personally tied to that country's history, to get those opportunities. It's like, huh, huh. I mean, not surprised at all. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, this is the world we live in. Well, hopefully, Yiling will get theirs. And, you know, I'd like to think that the British Museum has learned a lesson. But, you know, we'll see.
0: I did hear that the uh, one of the organizers, Julia Lovell, who's the University of London modern...
1: Wait, wait, her name is Lovell? Like Professor Lovell uh, from Babel? This is just...
0: L-O-V-E-L-L. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but like she, she's Automatically the... Automatically sus to me. She's the history professor at University of London in the modern Chinese department. And she did directly... Uh, contact Yilin Wang as soon as the news broke. So well, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, I mean, it is nice that the organizers are taking steps to correct this. But of course, it's like, you should have done this before. I <laughs> you mean, decided to hold this exhibition and steal translations from from someone. Yeah,
1: so. I mean, I feel like a lot of it has to do with the fact that Yilin definitely has a strong case here because they're using their translations. Yeah.
0: All right, so our next our next cup of book tea is about this white author who uh whose debut novel is written from a POV of a Japanese character and um this book is a historical fantasy set in 1877 Kyoto and it follows a samurai's daughter who must uncover her father's truth and find her own place of belonging during the Emperor Meiji's tumultuous reign to defeat ghosts plaguing her visions and the city according to publishers uh, marketplace and Natalie Jacobson like I said is a white author she is neither japanese nor was raised in japan she is not um from what i hear she's only lived in japan for 4 years so asian book twitter called this out being like hey like are you sure this is your story to tell Um, As someone who is not Japanese, who did not grow up there and has like no uh, personal ties to it. And uh, it's just been, it's been interesting to see how the conversation has unfolded on book Twitter, uh, especially from like uh, Japanese American authors.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's always such an interesting conversation of like who gets to tell what story. and. I feel like part of this is also on the publisher. Like, whoever greenlit this and did not see this PR, like, train wreck coming. Because, I mean, it's 2023. Um, this type of optic just does not play well at all. Especially in today's social media world.
0: I will say that the editor who did pick up this book is Japanese. Oh. But I still don't... Okay, so... Oh, it's We're getting into murky waters of who is who is able to tell what story and uh like what is okay if you're writing a story that's not based on your own experience um and i think and like what i've been relying on is like opinions and statements from actual japanese american japanese diaspora authors and um Emery Lee, who is the author of Meet Cute Diary and Cafe Con Lychee, um, they said on Twitter, Okay, look, I'm I'ma be real here. I've been trying to publish a Japanese fantasy since 2018. And I accept that my writing might just suck, but it's exhausting seeing every book be called quote-unquote anime-inspired or use Japanese myths and history without Japanese faces behind them it's exhausting to constantly hear that we don't need more Japanese books because there aren't even that many Japanese-Americans or Japanese people uh, who are being oppressed. Or to hear everyone say Japan is so loved and there are so many Japanese stories and still we are absent. So um, it's not just Emer- Emery, but like other Japanese-American authors have said, like have shared their experience on how they've tried to sell stories about Japanese culture and their heritage, but be rejected and then have white authors, non-Asian authors, pitch pretty much like the same thing and then get greenlit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess what rubs me the wrong way about this announcement is that I feel like this is the type of story where an own voice author would probably be able to bring more nuance to the whole thing. I mean, it is historical fiction or historical fantasy, but... If you're going to do a historical fantasy, why not just go all the way, do fantasy, and, like, that way you have more leeway on the nuance? Um, I don't know. It's just, it's the fact that it is historical set in, like, actual Japan in the 1800s that, like, I don't know if I want, like, personally, I want to read that story from, like, a white author.
0: I think it's also, like, you have to think about it in historical context, too, because the Meiji era was a very pivotal Uh, time period in japan and um even though japan wasn't you know officially colonized they had to you know assimilate a lot to british culture and they've lost a lot of uh their own culture to uh to that process so having a white author write a historical fantasy novel that's set during this like tumultuous time period and they didn't grow up in japan and really like know the history inside out it's i don't know it's very complicated and i think amanda of bookish bruise uh explained it best on twitter uh she said look i wish that we did live in a culture where anyone could write any character slash story with respect and dignity but considering the history of how white people have done it and how many people are Systematically barred from telling their own stories, we aren't really in that place as it stands. So, yeah. There's yeah.
1: definitely some like equity issues with this whole story as well, right? Like the fact that this author was able to get this deal, um, where you can imagine other writers who are own voices might have a hard time because of the myriad like systemic institutional roadblocks that are in the way of like writers of color. It's a lot more than just saying that I don't think this author should be writing this story. It's also asking, why are we picking this story from this author to publish?
0: It's a work in process. And obviously, like I feel like people can write whatever they want, but they have to take the consequences with it. So, um, I mean, it is a very complicated, uh, murky gray area. But I forget. Okay, so I found out about this. Because I saw Hannah Lee's tweet. And Hannah Lee is the author of Road to Ruin, which is uh, coming out later this year. Uh, she wrote, Me living in the United States since the day I was born. It's so weird to be diaspora Asian. Feels like I'll never be 100% American, but I'd never be accepted anywhere else. What am I? A white person who just moved to Japan. Nihonjin <laughs> desu. With like the... the um, the Japanese Tory emoticon. And yeah. it's just like so funny because if you look at uh, It's on
1: yeah, that's what's on the author's Twitter profile.
0: Yeah. If you look at Natalie Jacobson's uh Twitter profile, you see you you see like the Japanese uh Tory symbol. And I'm like, why is it always why do they always expose themselves in the bio of <laughs> um of their handles? It's it's quite funny to me. Um but it's also just like just because the editor is Japanese and maybe they had Japanese sensitivity readers, I feel like it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's messy.
1: Yeah, I mean, to reiterate, like, I have, like, I love Asian inspired fantasy. I have zero interest in reading this book. So,
0: yeah. But know? a good alternative is to read uh, Kylie Lee Baker's book. The Keeper of Night, which is also like a 19th century Japanese uh, fantasy novel, so so support authors who are from that culture.
1: I wonder and, how much longer they can they'll be they'll be doing this to us probably
0: forever, probably. Yeah. Marvin. We should really read Yellow Face by Rebecca Kwong. We um, should. Because a lot of people have referenced that in this conversation. <laughs> so I'm like, huh, okay. Like, we should read that. I don't know if it's going to be for a book club because we did read Babel, but, um, you know, just like maybe for our Honey Boba episode, just, just chat. <laughs> you about... know,
1: you don't need to convince me to read our Kwong book. I'm going to read it anyways. And then, yeah, we should definitely. Find a way or figure out a way to um to do that with with the book club, um either as a book club pick or or as a um like you said a honey boba thing, um definitely it's on my TBR list so I'm very excited for it.
0: But I cannot believe these two things happened in the span of one week. You know, I was like, what in like what is happening?
1: I mean, I don't know why you're surprised. I feel like this stuff happens every day in the publishing world. We just don't hear about all of them.
0: Yeah, but like the fact that my timeline was flooded with <laughs> like both of these things happening at once, I was like, yeah, what is happening in the world? Um, it took me a while because there were a lot of subtweeting, and I was like, oh, I gotta go down this rabbit hole and find the tea. And I'm glad I did because it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, <laughs> some good tea. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, that'll do it for this mid-month episode. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Um, As always, if you enjoy our podcast, there are many ways that you can support, um, either by buying a book from our online bookstore, by going to booksandboba.com, or by joining our Patreon, where you can um, be a part of our online Discord community, as well as have access to our bonus Honey Boba episodes every month. Um, So if you're interested in checking that out, go to patreon.com slash booksandboba. Um, We would love to see you online. Um before we go, um Rira, can you remind us what we are reading for the month of June?
0: We are reading We Have Always Been Here by Lena Wen. It is a psychological thriller that takes place in a spaceship where all of the crew members are slowly going insane. <laughs> so it is um very alien like and I'm really excited to talk about this on the show. It's been very long <laughs> since we've had like a sci-fi book. So yeah. Yeah. So,
1: and if you finish the book and want to share your thoughts, um, as always, you can let us know on Goodreads or on our Discord, if you're a Patreon subscriber. Uh, we love to include the thoughts of our book club members in our discussion episodes. Um, but with that, that'll do it for this mid-month check-in. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Yu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue follow the book club on twitter and instagram by going to at BooksandBoba and and engage with us on goodreads on our goodreads group you can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app don't forget you can support books and boba and asian american authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com
0: It gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's beautiful. And sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts, part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.